Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Xbox Game Passengers Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Cranevelt. And I'm Michaela. And this is usually the show where each episode, myself and a guest will dissect and discuss a single game that's available on Microsoft's Game Pass service, which was chosen for us completely at random. If you've been tuned to the feed, you may have noticed a couple of special episodes last week as Michaela and I detailed our adventures at PAX West 2019. This will be the last PAX West 2019 special, and it's actually chock full of interviews that we had with uh, some of the developers of the games we played down at the expo. It sure is. Chock a block full. We talked to the creators of games like Wanderlust, Wavebreak, Untitled Goose Game, Dauntless, No Straight Roads, Liberated, The Suicide of Rachel Foster, Barklight, Spiritfarer, and more, and we had a really good time. All of these interviews are, you know, five to ten minutes long, and we just get some of the basics of some of these cool games that are not out yet and might be coming really, really soon. A few of them have been announced for Xbox, and in the case of Spiritfarer, it also is set to launch on Xbox Game Pass. Which I'm so excited about, as you probably know if you've heard our other podcasts, because I loved that game. Yes, she did. She hasn't shut up about it all week. But yes, in this episode, it's just going to be a bunch of interviews. You don't hear my voice very much. Michaela actually really stepped up. She did some of my work for me. Uh, I lost my voice just before PAX and that made doing things very, very tough. Also, I just love video games so much and couldn't stop talking to people about their things. Also, it's really exciting to get to talk to people about their baby that they've created and are so excited to share with the world. It was a pretty neat experience. It totally was. So we hope you enjoy it. If this is not your thing, Just tune back next Wednesday when there will be another regularly scheduled episode of Xbox Game Passengers. Uh, In that episode, myself and my good friend John, who you have heard on the show several times, will be chatting about Elder Scrolls Online. So stay tuned for that to see what we thought. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye! I'm from Geekscape. I'm recording for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. And who are you? Uh, I'm Conrad. I'm here at PAX West, uh, showing off Liberated with Walkabout Games and the developer Atomic Wall. And what game are we looking at? Uh, So we're looking at Liberated. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Liberated is uh, a game and a comic in one. Or in other words, it's sort of our new take on what digital comics should actually be, so that they don't have to just be passive experiences, but that they can be fully interactive, fully playable, Uh, and it turns out that a comic can actually merge great with a video game. Uh, So yeah, it's like this sort of revolution in comics. It does feel like a revolution. It's like 
totally new and it could be a comic or it could be a video game but really it's both and it's so fun it like you managed to make it so fun so where did the idea for this game come from uh i mean this this idea of having a comic and a game is something that's been around for quite a while right you had comic zone years ago you had 13 but this is sort of so this is first of all our 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 we were inspired by the fact that digital comics are kind of not really taking full advantage of what they could be. They're just these sort of digital imitations of what's on paper. So we were like, why just that? Why not do so much more? And this is our answer to it. Uh, it's basically a simulation of you reading a comic from this sort of... It's funny because it's like your per- first-person perspective simulation of looking at a comic, right? So you see the pages, the transitions, everything goes from panel to panel, and it's all seamless and a game and a comic all at the same time. And what made you decide to go with the art style that you chose? Because comics and graphic novels come in all different kinds of styles, and this one is perfect. It's beautiful. It's like so mesmerizing, and I just want to keep looking at it all day. What made you decide to go this route? Uh, I mean, the the world and the setting itself, right? It's a, it's a tech noir sort of near future. So it's a kind of dark world, lots of shades of gray. Technology is being used against uh, society to control it and manipulate it. Uh, so we thought that this kind of grayscale, black and white uh, sort of thing worked really well. Uh, it's also an homage to, uh, you know, things like V for Vendetta. It just, it just worked. And we've, of course, we've tried a ton of different art styles before we settled on this one. It, like you said, it's kind of, it looks good. It's striking. It, it's attention grabbing. It's fun to look at. So that's, uh, yeah, that's about it. Did you take this story from a book that already existed, or is this something that you've created specifically for this experience? Uh, This is a completely original story. It's a completely original IP, and it's inspired by the world around us in a lot of ways. Like, you noticed this while you were playing, right? It's a world where technology that's being used against people is kind of everyday commonplace technology that already surrounds us except here it's all in one place and it is actually being used to 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 control the populace so so i i mean for me one of the big reasons i'm excited about this game is is because i think it actually tells a story that's sort of important and it has this noteworthy message uh it's a bit of a it's a, a bit of a warning it's a bit of a what if scenario but it's all us I noticed that, uh, like, as I walked past advertisements, the advertisements would light up. And then as my, oh, I can't remember what CCS stands for, but, like, my social credit score. score. As my social credit score was, like, decreasing, then I didn't see advertisements anymore. Now I just saw a warning that my credit score was down and, like, the police were coming for me. That feels like such a projection of how our society could go, like... And I mean, uh, right, the social credit score has is already in place in China, right? Uh, and it's also, it's kind of an interesting story about how this came to be in our game. Because when we started developing it a few years ago, this wasn't something that was actually fully implemented in China. It was like a, a rumor, something that might be happening soon, but it sounded so crazy and dystopian. So for us, this was like, well, this is perfect for our uh, near future dystopian game. And now by the time the game is releasing, it is actually real and it is actually true. Uh, so who knows, maybe in a few years, other things that we talk about in this game will also be reality. That's true. It's that whole art imitating life, life imitating art thing. So scary. I don't want that. I don't want it. I don't think anybody wants that. But that actually does kind of bring me to another interesting thing about the story, right? Because uh, the story for it's 
dystopian universe, authoritarian government, uh, a group of liberated uh, rebels, right? Uh, it's not a black and white good versus evil story either. Uh, we show the story from several different perspectives. So in the first chapter of the game, right, you're this young kid, you join the liberated, you're here to fight for what's right and for justice. Uh, but then in issue number two of the story, we flip your perspective. So suddenly you play as this grizzled old policeman. And from his point of view, the liberated are extremists. They're terrorists. They have spilled blood. They're dangerous. Uh, and the entire story is sort of like this clash of ideals and the extremes to which people might go to fight for what they believe is the good fight. That's so interesting that you're playing it from both sides. Because that is true. It's so hard to like relate to people who don't understand your point of view and that's like a challenge that we need to figure out every day and so this is a really good opportunity to see like what your actions might look like from somebody else's perspective i i i think it is i think it is interesting especially since i think this is also kind of where we are as a society right we're becoming so splintered we literally live in different realities that just cannot mesh whatsoever. So this is kind of a look at that dynamic between people. We're not, we're not show, really showing you good guys here. We're showing you people who, you know, everybody sort of messes up in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah, everybody is human. Everybody screws up and everybody does good things. And yeah, it's interesting. How did the development work when this is like a new concept that doesn't exist? Did that add a lot of sort of difficulties to figure out how to make it come to life? That is, a, that is an awesome question because uh, the Liberated is actually kind of two products, uh, two, two projects being built at the same time. Uh, the first one is, of course, the game, it's the world, it's the setting, it's the art style, it's the gameplay. Uh, whereas the other product is what we call the PGN, or the Playable Graphic Novel Framework. Uh, so it's this sort of tool set framework workflow that we're developing for Unity, uh, which handles the simulation part of the thing. The goal here being that Liberated is kind of just the first of these types of experiences, and later on either we or comic book creators and other game developers can come together write a comic, uh, and then sort of transfer it into this digital interactive space using the framework itself. Um, the, the, I mean, the first build of Liberated, so to speak, was actually just a still hand-drawn comic. Then it was digitized. So really, you're just creating a platform where almost any digital or any story could become a playable story. That's, that's the dream. I mean, the game is coming out uh, early 2020. Once that is out, we still have some work to do on the actual tool. Uh, but the end game is, uh, is, yeah, to enable, to basically connect, to connect those two worlds. Game, uh, game creators and comic book writers and artists to kind of do what they do best and actually create these sort of mixed video game comic experiences. So a platform, hopefully. We'll see how it goes. And so do you have other stories in mind that you want to tell? Are there other books being developed for this? Uh, right now we're focusing on Liberated, but once we're done with the main story, for example, I would love uh, for us to be able to work with um, other uh, uh, comic book writers to sort of tell their own stories within our worlds to release further issues. 
beyond Liberated, we are also super open and kind of looking for partnerships with um, comic book publishers to transfer their existing comics into these sorts of, play sort of playable video game experiences. So the sky's the limit. First Liberated, we got to show that it's good and that it works and that it's possible and people want it. And then we'll see where it goes. It is good and it is possible. And I really hope that people want it because I want to see where it goes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for stopping by. And when exactly is it coming out and what platforms will it be on? Uh, we're aiming for early 2020. We, have, we still have some polishing and playtesting to do. And we also don't want to kill our developer team. Uh, so kind of when it's ready, early 2020. Uh, and we're coming to PC on GOG and Steam. Uh, Nintendo Switch, kind of, I feel like, the perfect platform for this. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Xbox and PlayStation. So basically all of them. Platforms. You can find us on Steam. You can find us on GOG. Uh, we have a website, liberated.games. Very fancy URL. Uh, so yeah, find us, look us up, sign up for our newsletter, uh, wish list, all that. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Derek here for Geekscape.net and the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I'm talking to Max from Daedalic Entertainment, and we're chatting about a game called The Suicide of Rachel Foster, which uh, is a new story-driven narrative game that's coming out from the company. Looks really, really cool. It's very different from a lot of the stuff we're seeing on the show floor. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? How are you doing today, first of all? Uh, I'm doing fine. Um, a bit tired because PAX is, you know, working at, at, a, at an ex exhibition is... It's a thing on it, like for itself. You have to do it to know what it's like. But I'm, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm hydrating myself, so I'm doing fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Suicide of Rachel Foster. I'm really, really glad you liked it when you saw it. Um, yeah. It's it's by, by an Italian developer called One One O One Percent or Cento Uno Percento, since they're Italian. So yeah, it, um, it's a story-driven, uh, dialogue-heavy game about um, you know elements of uh, exploration, branching dialogue, some, some environmental puzzling too. It's a mystery, thriller kind of game, also some horror elements in there. And it's very much about you playing as Nicole. She's coming back to uh, the family-owned hotel. Uh, she's supposed to be the caretaker of the hotel for uh, just a few days uh, because the hotel is about to be sold and she's supposed to oversee the whole process. Her family's, her like uh, mother and father have recently passed away. So yeah, uh, being in the family hotel, um, she kind of gets in touch with her childhood there, you know, and remembers her childhood in the hotel and uh, the family and uncovers some like dark secrets uh, of the past, like things that the family, her, her parents have hidden away from her. And uh, yeah, as you can probably guess from the title, those events uh, in the past have led to a suicide of a girl named Rachel. So um, yeah, it deals with a very mature and, and, and heavy subject matter. And that's, uh, that's what we want to convey with the game, like that games should be able to you know, deal with heavy stuff too for everyone who's interested in those stories, you know. Yeah, mature stories. Totally. In it, I, like I very much right away got... You know, there's. I feel like we're kind of in a resurgence of these like single-player narrative games, and and I very much got you know uh, what remains of Edith Finch vibes from the the beginning. Even some like like just super atmospheric. Even uh, I got some Gone Home vibes in the time that I played with it, just because yeah. you you know you talk about this horror element, but it's all very you know in Gone Home you're playing it and you're wondering if something terrible has happened, and and it actually be, ends up being quite a sweet story. And yeah. uh, but the, you talk about the horror element, but it's all based in real life. There's no like supernatural element aside from the. Character 
character being in her own head, it sounds like. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we don't have jump scares or anything in this game. Yeah, nothing, nothing supernatural. But being in this huge hotel, locked in in the Montana mountains, all on your own, uh, you know, and, and uh, yeah, you hear the wood creaking uh, and stuff like that, and all those um, empty hotel rooms, that itself conveys a certain element of, of horror, right? And then as she uncovers those, uh, as I said, told to you earlier, as, as she uncovers those ghosts of the past, it kind of haunts her like it, a bit like it was a supernatural presence, but it's not. It's just her being kind of paranoid and really scared by what she uncovers about her family, you know? That's it. And is there an aspect of like, like is there, does she go through like flashbacks or anything like that? Or is it all told from the rooms and the, that she's visiting and the documents that she's finding and everything like that? There's no flashbacks, yeah. It's yeah, it's a lot of, uh, of yeah, what, this, what, the, what you find out is basically just by uh, picking up things and twisting and turning them in your hands to see if there might be a hidden clue somewhere on, on an item. Going through, you know, notes that your family left behind. Um, and also talking uh, on the phone to um, Mr. McGrath, who's uh, supposed to be your guide there as, as long as you're alone in the hotel. Yeah, but uh, like even this, this uh, mechanic of you using, is set in 1993, so that she's quite proud of this modern mobile phone that she's using, but it's a brick actually, right? Uh, um, yeah, so even this mechanic uh, of uh, talking to Mr. McGrath has a little dark and mysterious twist to it because, yeah, I'm not going to spoil you on anything, but obviously uh, Mr. McGrath has his own, you know, pieces for you to puzzle together about the story. It almost feels like sort of like a Firewatch type thing where you're isolated in this environment and you kind of have a almost a guide because this person sounds like they're very uh, familiar with the grounds, obviously being the groundskeeper and kind of leading you along the way a little bit. He yeah. must provide a lot of narrative to this to the kind of story. Do you learn about like was he involved with the family's death? We don't want to spoil too much, I guess. Yeah, but. yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to spoil you, but. Of course, uh, he's been there long enough and knows the family well enough to have his, yeah, as I said, he has pieces to the puzzle. Um, yeah, so that's what it's uh, about. And of course, it's also a bit like um, Nicole, the girl you play, also considering considering her own stance on her family and, and on herself probably too, you know? Because I think that's that's part of growing up. It's very much like a coming of age type of thing. She, she comes back to the hotel after not being there for a while, you know, studies and work and such. And yeah, um, I mean, everybody probably knows that you later on you start reconsidering um, what your, your 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 relationship with your parents and such as an adult, and you might understand certain aspects of their behavior that as a, as a child you didn't. So that's also part of the game. Yeah, it sounds so interesting. I like very much am into that sort of like story and and especially that like you know, piece of closure in that she's coming to say goodbye to a big element of her childhood and, and like you said, like learn about the people that her parents actually were that she might have not have understood before. Before, Yeah, it sounds super cool. Is there somewhere that people can learn more about the game at this point? Um, yeah, so um, the game has its own website uh, up and running, set up by the developers themselves. So that's very interesting because you can read uh, about their approach and their insight into why they want to convey such a story. But it's also uh, on Steam already, so you can wish to wishlist it on Steam um, to get like to be updated whenever we post something and yeah we soon we're pretty soon we're gonna uh, announce the actual release date we're, we're just doing some finishing touches right now and bringing getting the game through the submission process at Microsoft and Sony and as soon as we're through the submission process then we're gonna announce the actual release date and it's gonna be this year for sure so yeah stay tuned for it and best wishlist it on Steam and you will get all the info cool and is it is it just PlayStation 4 and PC yeah, yeah. It's going to be out on Steam, 
PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and we're also planning planning to bring it to GOG. No way, that's awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I've really had a blast with the game. I actually want to jump back into it because it seems really, really cool. Nice. All right, yeah, thank you for your time. Awesome, thank you. So I'm Michaela. I'm with Geekscape. This is for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. Uh, can you tell me who you are? My name is Piotr. I'm with Wanderlust team. And I'm Jacek. And I'm also, I made Wanderlust. <laughs> no big friends. deal. With my friends, yes. Uh, what inspired this game? So, actually, I love travel in general. I travel a lot, as much as I can. I've been to more than 110 countries, I think, at this point. So... Basically, I made games for a long time, mostly AAA. So, actually, at some point, I wanted to try to do something that connects my hobbies and also is a little bit more major game. Well, we call it slow gaming. So, you know, this thing that actually... you Because, in general, games are just like any other medium, like literature or movie. So, actually, they can be used... Firstly, to just convey more emotions than just frustration, anger, and you know those emotions usually connected with playing games. On the, on the, on the other hand, they also can talk about a, a lot of matters, a lot of subjects that, that other media really talk about. Like not only fantasy stuff or science fiction stuff, but only like about modern world, for example. That's an experiment, I would say, to, to, to create something like that. A game that's, that's set in modern world, that's based on documentary mostly, because we based it on interviews with travelers, on, on some journalists, like uh, stuff. We worked with journalists and with also writers, uh, travel writers, to, to, to create this game. So like, that's, that's an experiment, I would say. I was wondering where the like um, story came from, like where all the ideas and the experiences came from, because it seems very real. It seems like somebody probably had yes. that experience. Yes, actually, the Thailand story is written by Carolina, mostly, who I think it's mostly based on her own experience, actually. She's a writer. She's interested in fashion. She writes about fashion, and also she writes about traveling, so... A lot of subjects that somehow connected with her own experiences about being in Thailand are here. So, so that's how it is. I mean, we this game is like an anthology of stories, of novels, I would say. There are like four main stories, because there are four main characters. They are very different. So, like, for example, Martine here is, like, she's a postgraduate, she's a student, or like she finished studies and she goes to this life-changing trip to Thailand but there is also a, tr a trip in Africa where the protagonist is an older woman who's a journalist who's been to Africa a lot of times and she goes there for a funeral and there's this romantic story of a guy traveling through Europe for a date so they're very different and but all of them are based on like real memories or like real documentaries but the characters themselves are fictional just because I think it was required like we thought it's required just because it's a game so it's it's uh, you know you need interactivity mostly so you need to have a lot of choices and it needs to be a story so 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 yes but but I think the m most 
if not all the elements are based on documentaries or on interviews on, on our own memories and stuff like that. So, And the game is played through making choices and then reading about what those choices do for the character. I've never actually seen a game like that before where it's all just reading and, and choosing and there's no like physical gameplay in it that I've seen. What made you make that choice to present it in this way? So we started from this idea that we want to make a game about travel, but at some point we just, you know, we started from like, from some other ideas, like, you know, making a travel simulator or something like that, where you can manipulate few statistics and just go anywhere. That at some point we went to conclusion that actually what made it interesting is emotions, our emotions. So I think just to you know, convey this idea that the, the emotions in travel are important. Uh, we needed some, like, a good medium. I think the text is very good because actually it leaves a lot to your imagination because, yes, we describe a lot. We, describe, we can describe smells, we can describe views and so on and so on. But actually, sometimes we, we do describe it very precisely and sometimes not, but it doesn't really matter because you imagine the rest. Which is, which is actually great for, for the story and for the immersion, I would say. So I think that was the reason. Also, one of the main inspirations for me was just travel literature. So I think that that was this. It felt like you could really put yourself into the place of that character. That's like good, you could relate you. to it throughout. So I think, well done, good choice. I imagine this was quite different than working on things like The Witcher. And so how was that process for you? How was it to be able to do something totally different? Well, it was for I think the most important difference was just this reference material that we had to come up with. So we had to, you know, we had to hire journalists and and writers who who don't really work on games, but on, you know, they're just like travel journalists or, or, or just uh, people who write about modern world in general. Because, well, we have also some quite serious subjects there in the game, obviously. Because So I think that was the biggest difference. It's just, you know, this game is, I think, it, technically it's quite simple, more or less. It's just a text game. There are few mecha- game mecha- uh, oh, sort of gaming mechanics like this uh, stamina and... Uh, stress statistics that you know turn into your uh, emotional state and actually the emotional state influences how the protagonist experiences the events so even sometimes the events can be the same but they experience differently but actually this is about content so i think that was the the most difference was the amount of research that we had to do so yeah and it was very different from, from making big AAA games and I would say very interesting. And Peter, what was your part in this process? What's your role with this? I just selling the game and making it appeal to a broader audience. And one, one of the pictures is mine from Bangkok. Yes. Uh, but I want to just add something that if you read the text, then the best screen is your head, right? Because when you read, you imagine things powered by your memories. So in that way, all the playthroughs of the wonders will be different to each person because we have all different imagination and different memories. And in that way, the story will be more intimate because it will be tailored to you, like specifically. And also, the other thing which is awesome about uh, Wonderlust is the choices you make are really real. So, in making them, you kind of reveal yourself. Yeah, because it's not like 
Lay, the Kitten, Pet the Kitten, or Steal the Crown. It's something you wouldn't do in your normal life. Here, uh, there are things that you would do, right? So, showing them to other people. Sometimes people don't like being watched while playing Wanderlust because they feel it's like this intimate experience only for their own. So, so when I see someone playing, it's his chair with a glass of wine or maybe water, if they're too young to, to drink. Uh, and it's like a relaxing music, right? And you, you indulge yourself in this adventure. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like making choices to go to a temple or whatever. And then uh, I kept talking about fashion. And I realized partway through, oh, right, this person, their priority was fashion. So I'm making all these choices based on what I'm interested in. But somebody's having, like the character's having this actual experience based on what they're interested in too. And it's funny, like, because there's like four main stories. Each journey is a little bit different. Uh, the Thailand is more open world. Like, sailing a boat to Antarctica is more, like, narrow because, well, you're in a yak, so you cannot leave. So, so each one of us has his own favorite story, and people tend to say, oh, no, this one is the best. You should do all of them like this. That means that everybody can find something for, for themselves based on how they like to travel and what they like to do. Yeah, it's really versatile like that. I imagine you can play through it so many times and get so many different outcomes. Actually... Yeah, I think you can. But we, but I think that if you play it once, just as you'd like to play it, it's also okay. I mean, it's so when does it come out? On twenty sixth of September. And what platforms? It's iOS, PC, and Mac for now, at least. Well, thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you, and I can't wait to play it some more. Thank you. Derek here with Geekscape.net and Xbox Game Passengers. I'm here talking to a very familiar voice. I was going to say face. Uh, very familiar voice, Carlos Lopez, who uh, actually used to guest on the Geekscape Games podcast every once in a while. Welcome to Seattle. How are you doing today? It's very nice to see you. I'm doing good. Maybe somebody might not recognize my voice because I'm really tired. It's been the third day talking nonstop, but I'm doing great. What's up, Hey man, I feel that too. I uh, my voice is great today, but yeah. the last two days I couldn't really uh, talk very well. So, awesome. so uh, that is where I'm at. But we are here. You're working with uh, Funkatron, Funktronic Labs. I always want to say Funkatronic know, for some reason. Funktronic Labs. Uh, you guys are showing off a super cool, super like kind of nostalgic, kind of brand new game called Wave Break. Uh, and I just played it, and it's really fun. Tell me a little bit about what the game is. Sure, fun, uh, I was gonna say fun try. <laughs> Wave Break is a very heavy inspired. Uh, it's, it's, I would like to say it's a skateboarding game. So it yeah. takes a lot of traditional stuff from the old school Tony Hawk games, um, and it just we just put boats in it pretty much. And and the way it works is um, pretty simple. It's, it's it has the same almost controller scheme to Tony Hawk, just a little bit slight more easier for people to pick up. That it might be more technical. It's it's a lot more fun with like co-op with sitting down it's more like a couch game to chill but we also have a really competitive scene as well in our discord so that's pretty sick i played there's a few different modes it seems like you've got a campaign as well as like a bunch of different multiplayer stuff can you detail a bit about what some of the modes might be yeah yeah yeah. so we have a single player campaign uh you'll be going through a couple of chapters within the game each one has missions so very similar to prior uh, skateboard games in the past um You'll be able to collect a certain amount of points. Each level is meant for you to kind of know the learning curve within the game itself. So the first stage is very open and it's very simplistic. So you'll be able to kind of experiment a lot more. Second level is very super heavy on grinding. Um, we do have some other levels that do eventually help you kind of get the learning curve a lot more quicker. Uh, we also do have the deathmatch that you mentioned before. Deathmatch is pretty cool. It's based on how many points you can earn, which turn into currency, and then you can buy weapons around the map. I, I saw you kind of get the hang of it really quick too as well. 
And we also have a freestyle. Freestyle is more just kind of a couch kind of thing, and then you could shoot at each other, but not really with like the machine guns. But we also do have a uh, rankings kind of a ranking system going on as well. That one uh, excludes the gun, and it's more about points. It's more how much you can chain. Um, and we do have some other stuff. We have turf war as well that we just recently kind of announced, and. We do have some other modes. We haven't said anything yet, but we're gonna hold off for more surprises. Later. Is one of them horse? I can't comment on that. <laughs> it's okay. Just kidding. Uh, oh, it's like, and it's got this like, like, uh, I, like the aesthetic is very interesting, and I can't find the words for it. Like, tell me a little bit about how the how the yeah, game looks. Sure, uh, I would say the aesthetic fits in this '80s synth wave kind of universe. I would say uh, it's. We, we took a lot of heavy inspiration from uh, Miami Vice. If you guys know about Miami Connection, uh, that would be <laughs> yeah. a cool little thing. We don't have ninjas, but oh, maybe. maybe. Um, and it does fit in that world. We have cool synthwave uh, soundtrack as well, bumping in your ears, so giving you, getting, getting you bumped and pumped, as I like to say. And uh, yeah, we, we, that's pretty much the aesthetic of, of Waybreak. And a lot of, it looked like there's a lot of like character customization options and everything like that too. Can you yeah, talk yeah. a little bit about that stuff? Sure. Uh, within the game, as you complete the single player campaign, you earn some in-game cash, which you can use to purchase in-game items like costumes for the bear. You want to play multiplayer. Uh, you can use like skins or you can completely naked with a little naked bar on it, even though they already are naked. So it doesn't make any sense. But uh, customization for your boats, stickers, antennas, all that fun stuff. Uh, and then like like I played a, it looks you're showing off a couple levels here we got kind of a beach oriented level an ice oriented level that's very uh, grindy like you said very grind oriented are you, how many levels are planned and, and have you detailed any any of the other ones at this point um, at, at the moment we're just showing off these two levels uh, we're currently working on another one I can't really say what the maximum level is because we do have plans of supporting the game even after its release we might release some new stuff as well that we'll hopefully be able to announce sometime later this year. That's pretty sick. So release, you talk about release, Where? when is it coming, what's it coming to? Sure, so it'll be released quarter one of 2020, um, PC first, and right now for the other systems it's tentative, but uh, we're hoping to release on Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, PlayStation 4. Sorry Vita fans, I'm sorry. <laughs> no Vita, I'm out. Uh, what's been, I, it's so fun, people look like, people around here are, look like they're having a blast with it. What's been your favorite part of the game to play yourself so far? Uh, so far, you mean on the show floor or just, uh, just uh, No, this game, oh, this okay. game. Um, so far my, my favorite thing is actually we had the original te QA testers from uh, Tony Hawk 1 and 2 oh come in a big group yeah. and try the game and I think that was our highlight just to hear them approve of just like, you know, they were the original Neversoft crew, and just hearing them say, like, this game is really beautiful and it plays really well, it just really kind of made our, our whole packs, and just seeing everybody getting really pumped up and enjoying a new almost Tony Hawk kind of game. Well, and what, I mean, 20th anniversary of the series yesterday, exactly. what better, like, what could be better than the people that, like, made this game like come together yeah. and tell you that it's good. It was it was quite a it was quite something that we I, I was I was taken away. All of us here were taken away from all that stuff. We weren't really ever expecting like that kind of response and and even then and even now like we look back and, and we we hope to kind of fulfill that those shoes a little bit because um, that Tony Hawk series has been great nonstop and uh, we, we we hope to kind of fill in those shoes. It's been a long time since we had a good uh, Tony Hawk game, you know. In a sense. Totally, I feel that. Oh, that's super cool. Uh, I mean, we're here at PAX. What else? Have you been checking anything else out? Have you just been at the booth? Yeah, I've been uh, actually been walking around. This indie mega booth section is really great, but I've also been checking up upstairs and been playing a lot of uh, 
my friends over at Way Forward. Hey, everybody. Um, playing a lot of River City Ransom Girls. God, that game is so good. Totally highly recommended. Uh, they have a demo out here, too. Uh, Round of Guard is really good as well. You guys want to check that out. So it's Cat Lady. That's across from us. Mutazoni as well. And Creature in the Well. It's amazing games all around. And you have to come to PAX. I don't know. I can't even... Words cannot explain how amazing the show is. Totally. I feel that. I was We we were doing a show, la like a podcast last night, and just yeah. talking about how much we love it here just because it's so it's just like a celebration of gaming and like half the stuff here it's not as consumy as things like sandy yeah. half the stuff you couldn't buy if you wanted to like it's just like you're just seeing the stuff that's not even out yet getting excited for it i love it it's so uh, cool I, we've had nothing but uh wonderful response everyone's really nice here uh it's a different trade show for sure than yeah. e3 where it's yeah. a little bit more pr media it's more direct and this one is just great interacting with just everybody here just in general everyone's been really nice uh, giving us great feedback, and we just really just love the vibe of this whole show. Yeah, it's been awesome. Well, thank you so much for showing it to me. I have had a blast playing it. I can't wait to play it some more. Cool. Super cool. And yeah, it feels, I, I don't know, I've been a huge Tony Hawk, you know, even the bad games, I'm like, yeah. I love this game. This game's great. Like, what are you talking about? And this was so much fun right away. And, and I love the, like, you, you know, you talk about four-player split-screen coming, like, all that sort of stuff is sick, and I can't wait to play this on the couch with my friends. Uh, we're going to yell at each other so much. It's yeah, yeah that's all right. Uh, you can actually, even now, uh, join our Discord and get an alpha key. And we do have a lot of stress testing, so we invite everybody to hop on our, on our Discord and get an alpha code so you can actually play the game whenever it's available online. And it's, we're, we're so, we love hearing everybody's response and stuff. We love hearing feedback. So if you guys really want to get your hands on it, uh, please join our Discord and get on this because it's a cool ride. Everyone's there to play this game and we have an amazing community, so please do. That's sick. Thank you so much, Carlos. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Hey, it's nice seeing you guys. Jonathan, I love you. I uh, hope to see you guys on the next uh, con. Awesome. Thanks so much. And check out Wave Break coming next year for everything, it sounds like. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, guys. My name is Michaela. I am here for Geekscape and the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I am here with... I'm Greg Miletic, and I am the director of special projects at Panic, and we are the publisher of Untitled Goose Game. What is the director of special projects? That sounds very fancy. <laughs> it's a good question. I think it just means miscellaneous, whatever <laughs> needs to be done. I spend most of my time working on Playdate, which is a little handheld console that we're showing off at the show. But the other big thing is Untitled Goose Game, and we help uh, market and promote that. We're the publisher of the game. And can you tell us a little bit about the Untitled Goose Game? Yeah, so we showed the game for the first time at PAX last year, and it was a big hit. People love controlling this little goose that goes around this village and annoying all the villagers. Um, it's fun to play and fun to watch. And so this year we're actually announcing the release date, which is September 20th, just a couple of weeks from now. And uh, we're sort of very excited that people will be able to try this out. It's coming out for Nintendo Switch and then for Mac and PC via the Epic Game Store. And so that's a very close release date. Is it going to have a title by then, or is this its title? This is going to be the title. It was the working title for a long time, and nobody thought of anything better. Everybody seemed to love the name, so it's going to be Untitled Goose Game. It's super endearing. I'm glad it's staying that way. Fortunately, no other Goose Game turned up in the, me in the meantime, so there'd be any uh, ambiguity. It's just still the only one. 
I bet in the next year we'll see a couple more. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, and so, what is the what is the point of the game? What is the is there a story or what's what what is it about? <laughs> it's a very very loose story. You're just this annoying goose. You go around. You're given a list of things to do, like throw a gardener's rake in the lake, or steal his sandwich, or uh, get him to change his hat. All these various little tiny tasks that are meant to annoy him and uh, you walk around and you have controls to honk and to crouch and to grab things and you're just trying to get through this list and there's six different levels in the game that you advance through um, and then there's no real growth happening as the goose you're going to stay annoying the entire game so I can't really say there's a point to it exactly except that it's very fun to do it is very fun to do it's like super I don't know, it's light and funny and I just want to keep playing it. Why do you think that that formula works? Like, I would never have thought, oh, this game should be invented. It's a great question. It was invented by uh, four guys in Australia. Their company's name is House House. Uh, they started on it about three years ago, and I don't know what inspired it. But we just got, the first time we saw, uh, we at Panic were enamored with it, and so we wanted to be a part of it and help them out. Um, I think people just like the idea of a low-key game that uh, there's no time limits, no pressure, you can't die, you can't mess anything up, and that kind of release feels very uh, appealing to people. And it's fun to get to mess with people in a non-harmful way. It is. You get to be a jerk without actually being a jerk, and so that's very satisfying. <laughs> it totally is. How long did you say the game was? I am not precisely sure. I think it's around three hours is my guess. And I feel like, I don't know if you would have the answer to this question, but it's a very stylized game. Like it looks in a very particular sure. way. What do you think made them choose that direction? It's a great question. I think it's, it's, it's very cartoony looking, almost like an animated cartoon in a way. Um, I think it's just to keep the atmosphere light. If it were very realistic, I'm not sure if it would have quite the same appeal. And so it's kind of a nice, kind of very flat, uh, uh, cartoony look. Totally. And so when this game comes out on the 20th, uh, how much will the Untitled Goose Game be? The game is $20, but there's an introductory price of $15. So take advantage of that when the game is released on the 20th. And if we want to find out more about it, where do we do that? Yeah, uh, people can visit the website. It's goose.game. No.com, just goose.game. And you can find out all about the game. You can see uh, videos of it being played and URLs to get the game yourself. Awesome. Well, I will definitely be looking for the Untitled Goose Game in a couple weeks. Thank Fantastic. you so much. Thank you. I'm Michaela. I'm here with Geekscape. We are recording a podcast for Xbox Game Passengers. I'm with Derek and Ian Tournay from Phoenix Labs. And Ian, what are you going to tell us about today? I'm going to tell us about the game I work on, uh, where I am an associate producer. Uh, the game is called Dauntless. Um, it's an online action hunting game, um, maybe an online action RPG, um, however you prefer to do it, um, where you and your friends team up to take down gigantic uh, monsters that we call behemoths. Uh, the idea is that you go out, you fight a big nasty creature, you carve it up, um, you grab its parts, and you take those parts and its power back to town and you craft new weapons and armor. Um, so there's no classes to speak of, there is no kind of roles like a healer or a tank, um, but the way that you level up is by leveling up your gear, and because you can always switch gear, you can always kind of change uh, who you are in this game on the fly. Um, it's free to play, it's free to download, um, we're committed to never being pay to win. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in teaming up with your friends to take down a daunting objective and you'd like to be dauntless in the face of something daunting, you, you're going to have your opportunity. 
It's a good line. I know. It's great. Yeah. You've been, yeah. You've been using that one for a bit, I bet, huh? What I really love, too, it, as of recently, anyways, the game has come out for PlayStation 4 and for Xbox One. And the fact that you can play regardless of platform, which is something that seems pretty new for a lot of uh, companies still. How's that been going? What was That's a pretty exciting process to be among one of the first games to really be across every platform, like, like the way that Dauntless is. Yeah, we're, we're actually the first game to launch with true cross-platform uh, cross support. So there have been games, like Fortnite has cross-platform, um, even on mobile. Um, we're the first game to launch with it, though, um, and it's made a huge difference. Um, because, you know, like you said, if you're on PlayStation, you're on PC, you're on Xbox, not only can you play on any of those platforms as, a, as an individual and say, oh, you know, I don't have to start over, keep track of where my character is on this account. It's one account. And then you can play with anybody else, too. So if your friends don't have the same consoles... Um, then you're good to go. And the other thing that's really exciting is we're going to be coming to Switch later this year um, in the winter. So in theory, right, you could go to work, um, definitely not slack off and play Dauntless at your desk, come home, um, play on your PlayStation, and then as you're, you know, winding down in your bed at night, get a couple of rounds in on your Switch, um, all with one account and playing with your friends wherever they are. So we just played a demo, and I led in with the fact that I'm not a super gamer, and you guys obviously have played a game once or twice. Is there a way to like even out the play so that people at different levels can play within the game together? Oh, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, what part of it is matchmaking, just making sure that you know you're you're going in with people who are of equal level, who are pursuing tasks of equal difficulty. Um, I thought you did pretty well, by the way. Yeah, I think you know part of it is that. Um, we, we really, there are games that we really, really admire and have played a lot of. You know, we've obviously Monster Hunter is a huge inspiration for us. Um, you know, games like Dark Souls that have kind of heavier combat because um, our, you know, our game features a lot of mechanics like dodge rolls and heavier attacks and a heavier hit feel. Um, but that's not to say that we don't want to create a, a really cool ramp for people, right? If you've never played an action game, if you're more of an RPG gamer, I think you're still going to really like Dauntless. Um, different weapons have different, you know, appeal to different skill sets. Um, if you're someone who likes to go fast and you kind of want to, you know, just be a ninja on the fly, you've got the chain blades. If you want something that's super high risk, super high reward, there's the axe, and then there's kind of something in between for everybody. Um, and the other thing, too, is even if you don't win a fight, you're still going to grab some parts, you're still going to grab some kit that you can bring back to town to level up. So, you know, if you're if you're super esports, if you're ready to go full of Spuerta, you know, yeah, maybe you'll get through the, the game without needing to craft as much. Um, but if, you know, you want to take your time or really explore the crafting tree, or even if you just need a little extra help, um, you know, a couple of a couple of hunts, even if you fail, you're going to grind your gear up and then have a leg up. And is there, like, a story or a plot? Are you questing? Is, explain that part. Uh, yeah, of course. So Dauntless takes place in a world called the Shattered Isles, um, where humanity lives on these floating islands. So something has happened that has shattered this world um, and made it so that if you fall off the edge... Um, you're going to be falling probably forever and ever and ever and ever. No one really knows what's all the way down at the bottom. But what we do know is that there is a substance, a uh, mystic source of energy called Aether. Aether keeps things flying in the sky, um, but it occasionally kind of crystallizes and becomes sentient and turns into a behemoth. Um, these behemoths crave more Aether, which they drain out of islands. Um, so if you're in the real estate business or just like not falling forever and you're a human being, it's very important to stop these uh, behemoths from gobbling up all the land. Um, and so as a slayer, your job is to live on the edge, to live on the frontier, 
um, and go out and slay these gigantic behemoths so that we have a place to, to survive. And just kind of looking, I mean, we're standing in the middle of the booth right now. The behemoths look insanely varied in their art style and everything like that. Uh, they all use like kind of different elements, different and different like attack patterns. And, and, and like how many behemoths are there at this point in the game? Man, how many behemoths are I used to know right off the top of my head, and I, this is going to sound whatever, but I've actually lost count. Okay. Um, because not only is there, are there behemoths, there are variants of behemoths yeah. in, in both difficulty and, and approach. Um, I can tell you, like, right now, obviously, you can't. if you're listening to this, you can't see. Um, but in the booth, you're, we're looking at Embermane, Drask, Hellion, Pengar, Koshai. Uh, oh, I'm a bad producer. I can't remember his <laughs> name. Uh, Thunderclaw and, uh, and then Drask is down at the, or I'm sorry, Skarn's down at the end. Um, that's Boreas, actually. Cut like Aurora Borealis is Boreas. Um, but at any rate, um, yeah, I mean, they, some of them are elemental-powered, so they're, they're kind of a few core uh, elements. There's um, Earth, uh, Shock, Blaze, and Frost. And then on side of those, there's also Umbral and Radiant. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a weaknesses chain that you kind of predict. Um, but aside from that, too, um, we're, we're constantly introducing new behemoths. We add them to the game. We're adding new weapons. There are events. There are holidays. Um, and, and each of the behemoths kind of, sometimes they're more or less prevalent. Sometimes we take an older behemoth um, that people are like, okay, I got it, I'm done. And we level them up. We give them new abilities, new powers, a new set of moves. And we say, okay, well, you know, you fought the, the baby version. Now it's time to fight the big daddy version. Let's see how you do. And yeah, it's, you know, and the other thing too is not only are they very varied in their appearance and um, their elemental approach, but we also try to bring in gameplay elements from, from different games. So you know, Skarn, who, who we fought, the big rock monster guy, you know, he's very classic, kind of like, oh, he's got rock plates, great. Let's break the rock plates and get at the squishy part and we can damage him, right? Pretty straightforward. But we have uh, behemoths that are inspired by um, shoot 'em up games, like classic shmup games, um, where you're going to be dodging bullets as to try to just get in. Um, we've got uh, behemoths that draw from kind of more uh, classic um, uh, raid encounters, have mechanics where it's like, well, you know, you could damage him, but if you take out his minions, it'll make it easier. So it's we, we have a lot of really, really talented designers that come from backgrounds at places like Bioware, Capcom, Riot, um, who are just really excited to say, like, hey, I, I've been playing this game, and I really like the mechanics they have. I wonder if we can make a behemoth that draws inspiration from that. So it's it's a really, really fun to work on. That sounds pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, I know in the little bit that I've I, I played a little bit on the Xbox as well and have had a lot of fun with it so far, it seems like customization is a pretty huge aspect of the game as well, just in terms of customizing your character, but also the what the gear looks like and everything like that. Can you speak a little bit to, the, to that? Yeah, I would love to. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the best parts of any game, um, like, We've all, in the studio, like, we've all played a ton of World of Warcraft, we've all played a ton of Warframe, we've played a ton of Monster Hunter, all these games where, you know, you walk into town and you see somebody and you're like, whoa, what is that guy wearing? Holy crap. Um, I don't know if you got the explicit text, so I'm going to say, holy crap. Um, anyway, um, you know, you see the guy and you go, oh, where did you get that? Where did that come from? Um, and we really do want armor to tell a story. We really want your, your gear and your abilities to tell a story. Um, and so, you know, like, you'll see people wearing gear where you're like, oh, you look cool. And that's really fun, but you can tell like they didn't take down an end-level behemoth to get it right. Um, and then there is gear where you're, you know it's it has awesome effects. It it you know it has animation. It looks amazing, and you're like, oh well, that guy obviously took something down. Um, and then we also have a mode called Trials, which is for end-level slayers who have gotten kind of really perfected their skills, where they can go into an arena, fight a specially tuned, really just dreadful behemoth, um, and accrue currency they can use to then buy cosmetics to show off even more. Um, additionally, every month um, we roll out a new hunt pass. It's kind of like a battle pass if you're used to that, where for free you can get through 50 levels of rewards. Um, if you give us, I think it's about $10 US, um, you get access to a bunch of other cosmetic rewards. 
Um, and we themed those. So we had our Hidden Blade season, which was based kind of off ninjas. Um, we had High Skies, which there were pirate kind of themes. We're recently going through our um, uh, kind of Corsair cadet uh, lineage that is like super awesome day glow, blowout, fantasy star themed. Um, and then you're also going to see um, in the near future monks, um, kind of uh, Eastern Shaolin style monks. Uh, and then, you know, going into Halloween, we have to do something for that. Going into Christmas, we'll have to do something for that. Um, and so it's just, we're really always excited to add new cosmetics and new ways for people to express themselves. I mean, we're, we're looking at the Switch version right now, which looks really, really cool. I love the portable aspect of it. Alongside the portable aspect, I hear there's a mobile version in the works as well. Anything you can say about that or, or just TBD in terms of when we might be able to see that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mobile would be huge. I think um, for a guy like me, so I cut my teeth on an NES um, so the idea of a Game Boy was pretty mind-blowing back in the day. Um, I wish I had more than, you know, 20 AA batteries so I could play for longer than 30 minutes. Can we talk about the Game Gear for a second? That thing just, like, chewed battery. Okay, anyway, sorry. Um, like, I, I felt like if I was going to go on a road trip, I'd be better off hooking up the car battery. Like, that thing was bonkers. Anyway. Wait, hold on. What is a Game Gear? It's a Sega. It was an old Sega. Yeah. But, they, but they were like, I know what's wrong with the Game Boy. It needs a backlight. They weren't wrong, but it was, like, 1996, <laughs> so, like, LEDs weren't a thing. So, ooh, oh, boy, that thing chewed batteries. Anyway, you could, like, blind someone with it. It was great. Um, anyway, anyway, uh, mobile version. So, I mean, I think, you know, I cut my teeth on consoles. Um, I've always been a PC gamer, too. Um, mobile is one of those things where, you know, I think when mobile first came on the scene, a lot of us turned our nose up and went, oh, you know, that's just, you know, Clicker Hero, or that's just whatever. It's like, you know, like a gotcha game. Eh, eh. But I, I think that now, like, we're starting to see real, real, real games on mobile. Um, and I think, you know, if coming to the Switch, we've learned a ton about optimization. We're dedicated to getting it running smoothly. Um, we're looking at mobile. Obviously, we can't promise anything. Um, the next big thing that comes to mind, right, is, like, cool. So, you know, you're used to controlling Dauntless with, a, with an Xbox or a PlayStation or a Switch controller. How does that translate to touch controls? And half of that answer is when we started working with Epic, they would show us footage of... Uh, People playing Fortnite, for example, um, and it's crazy. Once you get the hang of it, um, almost subconsciously, there are actually people who play better on an iPad than they do with a controller. Um, now, that's not to say that we're going to leave traditional controller players behind. We want to have a 100% compelling touch experience for those people. Um, but it's, you know, it's the answer somewhere in the middle, and we're going to get it figured out. Ho hopefully, hopefully. That sounds great. And I just, I mean, I love the whole one account aspect. So regardless of what you're playing on for this period of time, I can just jump onto anything else and kind of go with it some more. I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to playing the game some more. People want to check it out. Where can they learn more about Dauntless? Yeah, uh, you can head over to playdauntless.com um, or just Google Dauntless. Um, it's free to play. Like I said, we're firmly against pay to win. Um, so, you know, you're not going to come in and see somebody, you know, zipping around on a $500 dragon or something. Um, you're going to be on even footing with all of your friends. Um, it's a quick download. It's super fun. Um, and the other thing too is we are always looking for feedback. So, even if you're like, ah, this doesn't sound like it's for me. I would actually like it even more if you would play so that you can tell us how we can make it more for someone like you. Um, because like I said, we're super interested in incorporating elements from different genres of games um, and really making Dauntless a world that people uh, play in for years to come. Well, thank you so much. It was super fun. Hopefully we can play it again soon yeah. on the go. Coming to Switch this year, it sounds like. Yeah, coming to Switch uh, in the winter and uh, our other platforms are live now. So get in there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm Michaela. I'm here with Geekscape for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I am talking to Rob about uh, No Straight Roads. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you're all about. 
Hi, I'm Rob. I'm the assistant producer at Sold Out. We are the publishers of No Straight Roads here at PAX West. Wonderful. And can you tell us what No Straight Roads is? Uh, no Straight Roads is a music-based action-adventure game. Everything in the game follows the music, the bosses, the NPCs, the enemies. It's all to the beat. Uh, it's not a rhythm game, but you know, if you can tune into the audio, you might have a bit of an easier time. Uh, you play as Mayday and Zook, who are an indie band called Bunk Bed Junction. They are fighting to take down the EDM empire called No Straight Roads and free Vinyl City from their tyranny. I really appreciate that it's not a rhythm game because I am not a rhythm-having kind of girl and I could still play it and it was super fun. And so who are the developers behind this game? Uh, the developers are Metronomic. Uh, they are founded by Juan Hasma, who is the, one of the lead game designers on Final Fantasy XV. Uh, he and his cousin up to move sticks back to Malaysia. They founded uh, Metronomic in Kuala Lumpur um, and were part of sort of a government incubation program. And the idea was that they wanted to nurture local talent in Malaysia to really get the games scene going there and on the map. And this is their first project. That's pretty cool. How did you guys get involved with it? Um, it was sort of a happenstance thing, really. Like somebody we knew was, we knew that they were over in the UK. Somebody we worked with was like, you have, you have to check these guys out. Um, it was literally the next day we were like, got them in the office. They pitched to us and uh, yeah, well, we loved it so much. We signed it sort of really soon afterwards. Yeah. And so where in the development process is this game at? Um, everyone has different ideas of what that is. So, uh, you know, everyone you speak to has a different idea of what an alpha is and what a beta is. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, we don't know when we're going to be, you know, ready to ready to go. But it's coming out early next year. So, yeah. Do you know which consoles it'll be on? Uh, it will be on PS4 and PC, possibly Xbox, I'm not sure. Um, and Switch is, you know, we've not decided on that yet either. But there's a retail version of the PS4 coming as well. And it's an Epic Store exclusive for 12 months, which was announced a couple of days ago. Is there anything else that you think we should know about it? It's like, it's very cute. I like the art style. I love the way music is integrated into it without making me feel totally incompetent. Like I could actually play the game and that was nice. Yeah. Like what's your favorite part of it? Um, it's the, it's that it's not a straight up rhythm game. Like, you know, we've seen loads of, uh, you know, bars coming across screens and having to hit at the, a specific time, but it's great that the developers wanted to make a game that was, you know, they're really passionate about music, but they wanted to make sure that it was accessible to everyone, even if they're absolutely useless with rhythm. You know, there's, there's plenty of us out there, um, that love music, but can't do it. Um, so I think, yeah, that's the best thing for me is that it's so music focused, but it doesn't. It doesn't require any God-given talent whatsoever. Just a love of the game and a love of music. Totally. Well, thank you very much for chatting with me, and I look forward to seeing this game come out sometime next year. Thank you for having me. So my name is Michaela. I'm here from Geekscape. This will be for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. We're talking about Luna, the Shadow Dust. And I'm talking with Susie. Susie, what do you do? Uh, hi, I'm Susie I'm from Lantern Studio. I'm the music composer for the game Luna the Shadow Dust. And can you tell us a bit about the game? Uh, Luna is a point-and-click puzzle adventure game. And all the animations are hand-joined, frame-by-frame. Uh, and the game contains about maybe 25 to 30 minutes of cutscenes, also all hand-joined animation. The stories, um, uh, is, uh, all the stories told by the cutscenes, no dialogues, no text, no 
uh, no voice, the only, the just the cutscenes, cutscenes to tell the story. That's a bold choice not to have any dialogue or anything. Why did you guys decide to go that way? Uh, because our artist, Betty, she uh, would like to try one of the challenge. She loves this kind of like uh, idea that there's no dialogues and then why not just try make a game there's no dialogue at all but that people can uh, in, uh, enjoy the story, can enjoy the game. And uh, the second reason is cheap to do and no localization and everyone can enjoy. No language restrictions, everyone from the whole world. And the music in the game plays a really big part of it. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, the music is like a, a Celtic style. Uh, this is what Betty wants like to show the game. The whole game settings like happens like quite old style, quite old far from the far from now. And then the Celtic have like a magical feeling, the Irish like at the time they can feel magical style. And uh, uh, on, in the gameplay, the uh, music should be quite calm, not to interrupt the gameplay process. And uh, for the cutscenes, music should be more emotional or be more suitable for the cutscenes showing right now what is going on for now. Like uh, they're happy to join each other or something bad or good, something good happens. And you're playing as two characters at the same time. How did that come to be a part of this game? Yeah, we found actually um, Betty, she has a, a cat at her, at her house and uh, she really uh, enjoy the pet uh, company with her. And uh, we also feel like the pet can be a, a big, uh, uh, how to say that, like a, 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 a role. Like the cat can be a big role to, to, to be cute. And then people, it uh, turns out people really like it. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So uh, she, sometimes Betty really like to watch the cat's movie and then enjoy the cat companion. So we want to put a pet into the game. Yeah, and also to do a character control is going to be also interesting to solve puzzles by one player only, but they're going to cooperate to solve puzzles. It's going to be very fun to try it, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how you have to rely on both of them to be able to get through the game. Yeah. yeah. So the hand drawing is beautiful and must have taken so much work. Why did you decide to go that route? What was the process of doing all of that? Oh uh, yeah, uh, Betty, uh, because all the first hand, hand drawing animation is going to be more realistic and also more smooth for the arts to show uh, for the whole game, for the whole cutscenes. And uh, this is uh, what Betty decided to, uh, to not to, um, uh, how to say, like to save time or something, because it's, this is our project, we really want to, to do our best, to try our best. So even though we know it's going to take a uh, lot of effort, but Betty also said she really enjoys all the process, like making all the arts. Yeah, she actually fixes and changes all the time, all the time to make the best um, uh, result. Yeah, so it uh, turned out people like it and uh, almost everyone uh, like it, plays the game. So we, we really appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, you're both doing a really good job. It's beautiful and the soundscape is lovely. It's just like nice to be immersed in that world. Uh, when can we expect to be able to play it? Uh, we are going to be, re the game is going to be released on Steam this October. And uh, if anything goes slowly or something goes wrong, maybe it's going to take a while, but it's going to be this year for sure on Steam. And the Linux later, 
And uh, for other platforms like mobile version and uh, Switch, we are talking to our publishers, but we are not so totally confirmed yet, but it's going to be next year. Yeah. And where can we find you online? Uh, we have social media like uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. If you just Google or the search in this platform, Lantern Studio or Luna the Shadow Dust, you're going to find them. And our website is lunatheshadowdust.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, too. My name is Michaela. I'm here for Geekscape uh, and the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I am here with Florian Mann from uh, Lemon Bomb Studios. I'm a CEO and co-founder. Uh, and I'm and at the moment we are developing um, Stranded Sales, an open-world farming adventure that will come out in October 2019 for uh, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, and PC. Wonderful. So, what is this game about? What? How does it go? Uh, in Stranded Tales, you play as the uh, daughter or the son of the great Captain Charles. And one day you decide to uh, follow him and his crew on a big adventure trip. But the uh, unforeseen happens and you uh, come into a big storm. And then uh, you sh shipwreck on a mysterious island. Your father gets injured. And now it's your job to step up uh, and get the crew back together, set up a small camp and eventually build a new ship to escape from this island. And in the game demo that we got to do, there was a lot of farming and finding and building and that kind of thing. Um, what made you decide to create this story with that kind of gameplay? The first idea for this game uh, came from our publishing partner, Roka Play, and we, uh, they asked us if we can do anything with the words farming and stranded. And then we uh, thought a little bit about it, and then we wrote a game design document and everything uh, came uh, together pretty well. Um, and we decided to tell a story uh, because that um, we, we don't think that uh, many farming games have done before to uh, tell a story. Uh, they just kind of throw you into the open water. You can do anything you want uh, and it's cool, but we think uh, we wanted to decide to make something different. And so in the demo that we did, I didn't get to meet any of the other like crew members or anything. Do you develop relationships with people as you move through the game? Uh, we decided to uh, keep out all the relationship part uh, because we wanted to stay a little bit more family friendly. And uh, yeah, that is why we uh, don't tell a story with a love interest. The art style that you use is super cute. What made you decide to go that route? Uh, the art style is uh, a kind of it favors two things. We only uh, we love to do a stylized uh, art, uh, so uh, we don't want to make a really realistic game. So that was the first point. And the other point is uh, when you are doing we're a small team, so we don't have a lot of time or the resources to optimize the game for uh, the consoles. And when your art is not so uh, hardware hungry. It really helps uh, and when you're porting it to the consoles. And so farming games, I feel like they're super popular right now. What do you think is the appeal about games like this? Uh, I think uh, farming games give you a really nice escape. Uh, normally they are really uh, have a slow pace. They don't punish you uh, really hard. And so uh, when you come home from a long day or just had a stressful time, uh, I think they are really a great, uh, a great thing to uh, calm down and uh, enjoy yourself. 
And so you were talking about um, in the game you're fighting uh, pirates or something, and you made certain choices around what the fighting strategies would be. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, we tried to uh, have a fighting system that is not uh, too challenging for the player. Uh, and we uh, try to keep it very simple so that you can see on the first, uh, with, you know, to just see it right at the beginning of the fight, uh, what your enemy is. We have three different enemy types, and they are all, yeah, you can see what they are doing right from the beginning. <laughs> I think uh, that's uh, a, a nice fit to the uh, relaxed farming. What is your favorite aspect of the game, personally? Yeah, I think uh, level design. Uh, because uh, you always can see something in the background which is interesting uh, but you cannot access right now but you can keep it in mind and later when you have a different tool uh, maybe you can uh, get access to it so uh, it really uh, is a cool thing that you can uh, visit uh, places you have visited uh, previously again and uh, get access to new areas yeah it was pretty neat that you could like you it felt like you kept getting a peek at you know, this this little beach area or this little mountain area or whatever, but you just couldn't quite reach it yet. So, well done. My favorite part was the color of the water and how you could see it reflecting underneath. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Can you tell us again where we can, where and when we can find this game? Uh, the game will come out in October for PC, Xbox One, PlayStation 4 and Switch. And if we want to find out more about it, where do we look online? Uh, you can uh, join our Discord server. Uh, you will find it on our website uh, at lemonbomb.de. Uh, and uh, you can find some trailers on YouTube and on the Steam page as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So my name is Michaela. I am here for Geekscape for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I am here with Rodriguez. Rodriguez, uh, what, what's going on? What are we talking about here today? I hope we're talking about Spiritfarer. Spiritfarer, it's a cozy management game about dying, right? So in Spiritfarer, you're playing as Stella. Stella is the newly appointed fairy master to the deceased. And in the game, you have to build a boat, you have to explore a world, and uh, pick up new passengers. And these passengers are spirits that are ready to be transitioning into the afterlife. So you bring them onto your boat, which is basically like a floating hotel type thing that you're improving and building up. And so you make your passengers comfortable, you, uh, you get to know them and you tend to their needs, and you, you befriend them basically. But at the end of their journey, you have to let them go into the afterlife. That's the game. And so what prompted this game about spirit journeying, like death? What is up with this? What's, what's up with that? A few, you know, there, there were a few doors into this project, right? Uh, we have a couple other games, and we tend to take the very beginning of the project from, from mythology or lore of some sort. Uh, so in this case, it was the, the Greek myth of Charon, who's the, uh, the, the fairy master who ferries the souls of the dead across the river Styx. But we wanted to do that, and our previous games have been death-obsessed as well, but they were a little more, I'd say, killing-obsessed than, than death-obsessed. So it was how can we, I don't know, guess, get into that subject matter in a lighter way, a more colorful way, uh, and a more positive way. So, you know, and it, we're, we're, we're a five-year-old studio, and basically a lot of the people in the studio were in their early 20s when they started, and now they're, they're 
they're, they're getting older, they have families, and they have loved ones that are passing on. Uh, so all this stuff comes together. It's like, okay, how can we, how can we talk about this stuff in a, in a, I don't know, I'm not going to say therapeutic way, but kind of, and, and uh, a more positive way. It is interesting because the whole game feels very light and fun and brightly colored. And um, when you think about death, it feels dark and gloomy. And I did not get those vibes at all from this game. And, and so that sounds pretty purposeful. That sounds like what you were going for. How did, you, how did you choose the art style and the music and stuff that you decided to go with? Well, uh, we it, it's we're, I'm not going to say we're art first, but we we're, we're known very much for our art. Our, our previous games have the same core team, and we're known for our sort of cartoon-like style, the 2D animation that's all hand-drawn. Uh, so we wanted to go into there. We wanted to come back a little to a little lighter sort of visual tone than we'd had in our previous project, which was Sundered and was dark and it was Lovecraftian, and now we wanted something a lot lighter. So. Uh, I guess our, our, the head of our company had Spirit of Way in mind, Studio Ghibli Films, that sort of thing. So that was the start of it, and, and our art director and art team fleshed that out into something a little more unique, taking influences from here and there. And uh, it's, it's got kind of almost a storybook slash uh, animated film vibe, which is really what we were going for. And I noticed that like the journey is happening, but it's almost happening in the background. You're also fishing and planting and building and and how did you decide to to make the story unfold in that way like it was very engaging and interesting yeah yeah we did um so it is a management game at its core right i mean uh, you um the pitch sort of gets i guess the emotional content of the pitch gets the most attention because it oh it's about dying tell me more about this but it is a management game it's it's uh if you want to really simplify it, it it's in the vein of a stardew valley except it's on a boat you you are managing this this hotel uh so but we also want to see how can we really take character development and infuse that into a management game so most of what you're doing most of the resources you're you're gathering most of the things you're crafting it's basically for your passengers and their characters and what 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 they want, what they need to be able to fully, uh, fully embrace the fact that they're passing on, sort of thing. So there's very little of the resource management and, and, and stuff like that that's an, an end in and of itself. You're not just farming to farm, you're farming because you need ingredients to create a meal for this specific character. So you have to explore the world to find these different ingredients and you have to transform some things. So all that meshes together in a very interesting way. Do you find that because you've made this game, are you are you talking about death more? Is it becoming less taboo? Because it is quite a taboo subject, and we're all very uncomfortable with it. Do you do you feel like this is a way to kind of open that up a little bit? Well, hopefully. I mean, not everybody wants to, and we're not going to force people to talk about it, right? But um, as I said, it's not it's not fully therapeutic, but we do have to pose ourselves the same questions. We have characters in the game, and they're basically all based on people that the developers knew and have passed on, right? So it's kind of a tribute to them, and it, it, it's, I guess, anybody who was asked to, to give the details about these characters so that we could, we could create them, there was something of a coming to terms and, and really confronting that, right? So I think if we imbue it with that, with that relatable sort of emotion, our hope is that people are going to approach it in the same way and, and start thinking about their own loved ones and, you know, very possibly play it together with, with them. And you know, have some conversations, but really do it in a in a more positive way. Don't be don't be afraid of it. We're, you know, we're, this is going to be an emotional game, 
but it's not going to be a sad game. It's it's like a bittersweet is is the worst that we're aiming for here, right? Which is in many ways life is like that, right? Yeah, that's a lovely way to approach it. And good point about being able to play with your loved ones because it is a co-op game, or it can be. Yeah, so it's it's fully single player, and and there's there's the secondary character, which is the cat, and the cat will follow you around and basically do what you do. But at any point, you can just plug in and play as as the cat, and the cat can do everything that the human character can do. And there are some parts, uh, some mini games in the game that you have to collaborate together to get it done. So, so you not only have fun together, but you can also, you know, sit down and and talk, and you know, just sort of, I don't know, uh, absorb what what these characters are telling you and get attached to them, and sort of like, I don't know, be okay when they're ready to go. Yeah, it's kind of a conversation starter. It yeah. feels like. Can you tell us when and where we can find this game? Uh, you will find it everywhere. We 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 are going to be on everything. At the same time, so we're, we're we're shipping out on PC and Switch and PS4 and Xbox One through Xbox Game Pass as well. At the same time, but when is that time? I don't know. I can't tell you. Um, we were aiming for spring, and then and then a very sort of similar large large format title has been pushed back to March. And that title is Animal Crossing, and we don't want to hurt Animal Crossing's chances. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's very. Yeah, we we don't want to hurt that. We love that game, honestly. But uh, we'd be foolish to come out in March when they do. So uh, sometime after March, but uh, we're not sure yet. We want this to be as tight as possible. We're about halfway through production, um, and things are going well. But we want to be perfect. We like there's. It's it's kind of a unique proposition. So. And we love what we have so far, but we have to make sure that the rest of it is good, too. So we'll see. Sometime next year, we'll be able to, to, to hone in on a, on a specific date. And if we want to find out more about Spirit Fair, where do we do that? We do that at ThunderLotusGames.com. We are there. Uh, any people who are using Steam can hardly wishlist it. It's, it's already out there. And basically, all the other systems, if you Google it, like they're 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 there. Like we have a we have an Xbox page, we have a PS4 page, and we have a Switch page. It's, it's out there, but it's not actionable until next year. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's a beautiful game, and it's so fun to play. I'm really glad I got to experience it and got to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm Michaela. I'm here from Geekscape for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I am here with Doug. Doug, I'm going to let you tell us who you are and the name of the game because I can't pronounce it. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, I'm Doug. I'm a co-owner of a small game studio called Die Gute Fabrik, uh, which is based in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, and we are here showing a narrative adventure game called Mutazione. Mutazione. It's like a fake Italian word. Okay. So, yeah. And what's the game about? So uh, the game, we're calling it a mutant soap opera. And so you are play as this 15-year-old girl, Kai. She's visiting uh, this kind of post-apocalyptic town of friendly mutants who are, uh, 80 years ago, a meteor destroyed this uh, big island. Uh, the people who survived were mutated, uh, and now they're kind of living in the ruins in their own little village. Uh, your grandfather lives there. He's dying, so you've taken the boat to visit him, take care of him. Um, along the way, you meet all these friendly mutants, you learn about their drama and romantic issues with each other, uh, but maybe you can also save your grandfather as well. So this is kind of like a um, point-and-click adventure game, except less focus on puzzles and more on the narrative. So. 
And can you tell us about some of the mechanics in the game? It's pretty interesting and different. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, a somewhat linear story that takes place over eight in-game days as you get to know the community better. Uh, the one mechanic, though, uh, in addition to the kind of traditional narrative point-and-click adventure, uh, is that you grow these musical, magical gardens. So every day you grow a different garden. Uh, so, for example, one day you may want to grow uh, a certain character's favorite flower to make them feel better. Um, uh, you collect seeds from around the village and the wilderness outside the vil uh, village. Uh, certain characters give you seeds, and you can plant them, and you have this magical song which you can kind of instantly kind of grow the plants to their adult size, so you can harvest seeds and flowers and stuff to give to the villagers. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the gardens are all musical, uh, so uh, there are over like a hundred plant species you can grow, and each one's mapped to a different instrument. So one plant might be a trumpet, another one might be a cello, another one might be a weird synth or something. And so we're hoping that in addition to just like planting plants to complete the game and progress the story, there'll also be this kind of reward in and of itself of kind of growing your own ambient music soundscape and then, you know, picking the kind of instruments you like and listening to that and chilling out to that. Um, each day has a different garden with a kind of different mood. So one day might be the kind of melancholic day with a minor key music. Another day might be uh, the euphoric day with really colorful major key sounds. So um, the gardens kind of match the narrative of, of, of that day. Where did the idea for that come from? That seems like so interesting and different. Like, how, how was that born? Yeah, so, uh, um, I, so I did a bunch of the audio programming, and I worked really closely with our musician, Alessandro Coronas, who's um, Italian, and uh, everyone on the team is a huge music fan. Um, I'm a huge fan of ambient music. Uh, you can think of, like, if you've ever heard of, like, classic uh, ambient, like Brian Eno's music for airports or something. So we thought, well, let's, let's have this kind of, instead of just a point-and-click adventure game where when you beat it, you're done, that's it, you know, the story, we wanted something that was, like, a little bit more kind of creative as well. So this this idea of, like, well, what if people could kind of control the music a little bit? And then it kind of spiraled out from there. Yeah, uh, I think just the, the giving that kind of, like, little means to for, like, personal customization and expression within a traditional linear narrative game was somehow the combination we were going for. And the art style that you chose for this game, it's, like, very, it's beautiful and it's layered and the colors are lovely and it is super atmospheric. Where did that come from? Why did you go in that direction? So the whole game uh, and the world uh, started with uh, uh, the Gouda Fabrique, uh, my co-owner uh, Nils Dinekin, who is an illustrator. Um, so a lot of it is from his art style and his sketches. Um, and so that's, that's where the whole game started. And so that's very much his art style. It's kind of almost um, papery, really handcrafted style. Uh, we worked, also worked with some really talented uh, animators in Denmark, and so we, we also wanted to go for this like, um, like old-school frame-by-frame animation style that's uh, certainly influenced uh, by both graphic novels and anime as well. Obviously, you think about something like Nausicaa, like Studio Ghibli's famous film that's also kind of set in these post-apocalyptic ruins, so all that kind of stuff is definitely an influence for sure. And then the, the story kind of came out of that, and so that's, that's written by um, our writer Hannah Nicklin, who worked with Nils. But all of it, actually, most of the game concepts started from these visual sketches that Nils was sketching this world. And what's your personal favorite part of the game? My personal favorite part of the game uh, is actually the little wildlife. So there's, uh, you know, it, it, rather than just have these like static backgrounds, you try to do all everything you can to bring life 
to the world or the, the illusion of this living world. And so, uh, you know, there's these little animated bugs and birds and uh, animals and stuff. And uh, some of those little, like, animated... There's this one particular bird. It's called... We have a whole wildlife Bible uh, underneath the scenes. Uh, and one of them is called the Purple Sap Eater. And it's just this, like, floppy, adorable little bird uh, that really tugs my heartstrings. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's like... Maybe that's a very uh, game developer thing to say, but I think it's like the details is always, I think, what matters. So just those details that bring the world to life. Uh, yeah, what's I think what matters to me the most. I can understand that. Definitely the bugs and the birds and everything that we got to see was pretty neat. When does the game launch? Uh, very soon. We can't quite talk about the release date yet, but uh, probably within the month. Like, the game is mostly done. Um, so very soon, like, matter of weeks. We're probably announcing the release date very soon. Uh, it's coming, or I should be careful how I phrase this. Uh, the an- so far announced platforms are PlayStation 4, Mac, and PC. And who knows, there may be more coming as well, but that's that's what we can talk about right now. So, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I really oh, appreciate it. Mutazione? Uh, mutazione, uh, but people can pronounce it however they want. It's a totally fake Italian word. So yeah. Perfect. Thank you. This is Michaela from Geekscape. I am here for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast. I am here with... Uh, Lucas Rowe from Red Blue Games. And what game are we talking about today? We're talking about Sparklight. Uh, it's an action-adventure uh, based uh, inspired by uh, games in the 90s that we all played growing up um, with a lot of uh, modern uh, game mechanics like procedural world generation and uh, good combat. Now, I learned today what procedural world generation is. Can you explain it to us? Yeah, so uh, basically the, every time you lose in the game, uh, the whole world will regenerate. So you never see the same world twice on a run. Uh, it, it lets it keeps the game fresh as people kind of uh, are are progressing and trying to get better. So that must mean that you had to draw a whole bunch of different like rooms or worlds sections. Yeah. Uh, that must be a lot of work. How many different areas are there? Right. So there's five different zones, and uh, yeah, with uh, the algorithm, I guess to get, geek out a little bit. Uh, uh, you need a certain a number before it's fun to shuffle. So if you are shuffling two cards, that's not a very fun thing. Even 20 cards isn't really all that fun. So we really needed like 50 to 100, uh, and it's really ballpark. The, the the numbers all over the all over the place depending on the zone. Um, but yeah, it takes a lot of a lot of work to to get to this emergent kind of fun randomness that that, you, that we wanted to get. And can you tell us a little bit about the story of the game? So you are a genius engineer that uh, crash lands in a foreign land that's being uh, uh, fractured by all these earthquakes. So that's the theme for regenerating the world is uh, every time you die, an earthquake shuffles everything up. The fractures are being caused by gremlins that are mining the world's sparklight. And sparklight is the the currency in the game. It it yields great power and it also corrupts. So all of the, the mining company is burning the sparklight and corrupting the earth and corrupting themselves. And you are doing your best to put a stop to it. That sounds awfully familiar. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's tropey, but we were very intentional with uh, who the good guys and bad guys are in our game. It's good guys are very pro-science, and the bad guys are the miners, uh, you know, burning everything. Yeah, that's hitting the nail on the head, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been developing this game for? Uh, so we've been uh, working on it for four years. 
the team has grown and shrunk between those four years, so it's sort of hard to say uh, the the true person uh, person year. Three of us are full time, uh, and then we've worked with uh, five different pixel artists. Uh, the most was two at two at full time. And it's a pixel art game, but you said that there's some modifications in that. It's not the same as it would have been in the 90s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So some games go for pure retro look. Uh, we wanted to. We basically decided which rules we think we could break and which rules we shouldn't break. So. Uh, to geek out more, uh, we don't rotate pixels like that's something you'll see in contemporary games. But we didn't, we don't like that aesthetic. But it's perfectly valid. It's just not the aesthetic we were going for. So while I was playing Sparklight, I died 40 million times, but it wasn't super painful, and I was able to come back and not feel like I didn't want to continue because it was too hard. I still was able to move on. Why did you make the choice to make it like that? Yeah, I think uh, towing the line between punishing and fun to learn are it's a really tough thing. We wanted the game to be approachable, uh, but but still challenging for the people that wanted a challenge. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that I I think that sums it up. Yeah, that that does. Yes, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about the town in Sparklight and the characters that are? there or end up there yeah so uh we went for a bunch of goofy characters um this our artist was super creative so one of the we had one character that was inspired by um like uh 70 76 trombones is i i'm a trombone player so it's a musical and it's a really like uh over the top uh, band leader so that's one of the characters and we have a cool geeky scientist and this it's a lot of uh fun people that you get to meet and uh yeah, you'll rescue them in the mainland and they come back up to town, so the town will grow as you play the game. It sounds like quite a passion project. Am I projecting, or is that true? Yeah, 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 it's definitely a passion project. I mean, the inspiration being our games as kids. My brother and I, when we founded the company, um, decided if we were going to make only one game, you know, if we only got one shot, it needed to be a game that we would regret never having, you know, 20 years from now, it would be a regret that we never tried it, so... Yeah, it's definitely a passion passion project. And Kevin joined us and has the same background in, in the 90s games that we loved. That sounds like a good baseline for choosing what game you're going to make. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so when should we expect to see this game and where can we find it? So available fall 2019 on all consoles, PC, Mac, and consoles. And if we want to find out more about it online, where can we find Sparklight? Uh, so there's a bunch of places you can find us. Uh, if if you're a developer, uh, we we tweet geeky developery stuff on uh, Red Blue Games uh, tw- Twitter account. Uh, but you can find Sparklight itself at sparklight.redbluegames.com or search uh, or search for Sparklight. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed playing the game, and I'm looking forward to it coming out. Thank you, Michaela. I'm Michaela. I'm here from Geekscape for the Xbox Game Passengers podcast, and I am here with... Hello, guys. I'm Radek, and I'm so happy to be here with you. And what game are we talking about today? Uh, it's a game deck. Uh, actually, I'm a producer of the game deck in Anshar Studios, a Polish uh, game uh, development studio. And the game deck is uh, the Adaptive Cyberpunk Isometric RPG. And it's based on a book series of Polish author, Marcin Przybyłek. And it's about a 
profession of a game deck, which is a who's, who's a detective uh, that's that's solving cases in virtual worlds, a little bit like in Ready Player One, but with detective twist in it. And so this is based on a book series. Yes, exactly. It's uh, it's based on a series uh, of uh, seven books, if I remember correctly. But we are uh, taking inspiration and references from first three, and uh, yeah, the, the the story, the profession, and the lore, and the creation of the world, the Warsaw of the 22nd century, is uh, actually straight from the books. It seems like it lends itself very well to becoming a video game. What made you decide to turn this into a video game? Uh, sorry, what do you mean? Uh, what made you decide to turn this story into a video game? Oh, okay. So, so we uh, dreamed about um, about create creating our own uh, CRPG, computer RPG game, and it happened that uh, we uh, we heard about Martin and his uh, his his word, his his lore, and we were pretty excited. Um, about the whole creation, about those virtual awards, because we we through that uh, it gives us opportunity to tell a lot of different stories and to 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 bring a lot of variety into the cyberpunk game, right? Because at one hand, you you, you can you can have like a, a free to play game setting where you play with the genre, but just. In a few minutes later, you can you can have, for example, r- racing game or uh, MMORPG game, and it can be like totally different story, different different setting, different world, different mechanics, mini games, and and so on and so on. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 the case. That that's why we choose to to work with Martin Przybyłek. and Martin is actually a part of our team. So he's taking care of the writing of the dialogues and he's consulting uh, lore elements and uh, and the whole uh, whole game deck verse um, specific things. That's awesome. What's your favorite part of the game personally? Also, I love deduction so much. It's like a little like a little bit like my baby. It's our basic system. Uh, and I love how it's uh, unfold the story in different direc- directions. So basically during the every playthrough, you have the same story, but uh, seen in with different perspective from different characters and uh, about different elements of the of the of the, of the specific case. Uh, and my second one would be aspects, uh, and it's because the same. It's like very adaptive. The game react. Uh, what you choose, how do you play? So if you are a brute, you can be like a more of a warrior type, but you can decide that no, you don't want to be brute anymore and you want to be like a technomancer and the game will adapt, will uh, react to your choices and let you do so. So it's like the, the player is the sum of his choices and he's telling his own story in our game. And what's been the hardest part about developing this game? Oh, uh, hardest part? Uh, I think there's like a lot of hard parts of game development, but uh, we have a really passionate team. Uh, we really love CRPGs and pen and paper RPGs. So every day we are like working together, uh, and we are we know how, what game we know what game we wanna we wanna create, and we have a vision, and this vision uh, has pretty pretty good reception. Right now, uh, we just announced Game Deck, and everybody loves it. So, so there's no hard part that can be overcome uh, in this in, with, with this uh, passion for for RPGs. Yeah, it sounds like you're working on exactly what you're passionate about, which is a wonderful thing to be able to do. 
what made you choose the art style that you did? Uh, so uh, for around a year, uh, we were doing research about uh, like camera, art style, and the mechanics, and we were creating this vision of the game. And uh, we we decided that we want a lot of variety, but every single setting must be at the top-notch quality. Uh, as in a isometric RPG, you can re like really, uh, really um, be creative about it. And uh, we are working to we are working to uh, keep the same level of, of of quality around the game, but uh, with different like art styles and, and and settings. And when can we expect to see this game available? The game will be available uh, next year in 2020. A specific date is yet to be uh, announced. What consoles will it be on? Uh, for now, it's uh, for PC only, but we are thinking about other consoles as well. But it's still not yet decided. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. It was a great game. I didn't get to play it, but it looked pretty neat. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you for your time, and it was a pleasure to meet you. Oh, and actually, where can we find you online? So, don't forget to add us to wishlist on Steam. Uh, we are as well on Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, uh, and the website, GameDeck.com gamedeck.com where you can uh, sign to a uh, newsletter and you're going to get the latest news right into your email. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.